0: The great American statesman and President uh, Thomas Jefferson was a man of science, they say. Uh, he was a man of science who didn't believe in miracles, but he really liked Jesus. <laughs> um, unfortunately, if you've ever read you know, the Bible, you've discovered that um, right next to Jesus' ethical teachings um, are stories of Jesus performing miracles, you know, like feeding of the five thousand, walking on water, curing, uh, you know, the blind. So Thomas Jefferson resolved that conflict in a very practical way. What he did was he took out a pair of scissors and he snipped out all the miracle stories of Jesus in his Bible. Um, What he was left with were were the teachings of Jesus, but. Then he discovered there's also a problem, a bit of a problem with uh, some of those teachings because they were a bit too incredible uh, for his liking. <laughs> and in the end, Thomas Jefferson um, ended up with just the Jesus that he wanted. That's the easy thing for us to do, isn't it? Now, you and I might not do it with scissors Instead, what happens uh, for us is sometimes what we do is we just decide to skip over those um, parts that we don't like and we uh, camp out on those passages in the Bible that we we prefer, that we that we do like. And the problem with that strategy is that in doing so, what happens is we lose some important truths about God. And that missing... Peace, or those missing pieces, make all the difference in the world. A.W. Tozer, in his book, Knowledge of the Holy, wrote this. Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. Without a doubt, the mightiest thought the man can entertain is a thought of God. Isn't interesting? The mightiest thought the mind can entertain is a thought of God. The picture that you and I have of God, what we believe of his nature, what we believe of his character, profoundly influences the way that we move through life. The, approach, uh, the way we approach relationships, manage uh, resources, and, and handle difficulties that we encounter along the way. That's why we're preaching this series here in this month of August that we've titled Encountering God, because our prayer, our desire right up front is that each one of us encounter God in a personal and real way. And when we do that, it will impact how we live, because nothing impacts our lives like who we picture God to be. For example, how trustworthy do you picture God to be? I mean, few things are more painful than broken trust. Have you discovered that? When I was 11 years old, um, I was an um, adamant, uh, huge Minnesota Vikings fan. Um, I still remember back in 1970, the Vikings were overwhelming favorites to uh, beat the Kansas City Chiefs in that first, their very first Super Bowl, only to get crushed, right, 23 to 7, and I, I was crushed. I mean, I was so crushed, I didn't want to even get up and go to school the next day. Um, but, listen, hope came uh, just four years later when they uh, went to their second Super Bowl um, in 1974. Again, they lost. And again, I was, I was crushed. And again, I didn't want to go to school the next day. Um, you know, and after they lost our third and and fourth uh, Super Bowl, all my hope was gone. And four Super Bowl losses. I, I mean, I became like all you other Viking fans. We no longer trust the Vikings. I mean, they, they'll only break your heart, right? We've discovered that. Um, can, can you remember a time when uh, your trust was broken? Now, maybe it was because of something more significant than a, than, a, than a football game. Maybe it was a time when, I mean, you were counting on your mom and dad to be there for you at a critical moment, but they failed to show up. Did you ever give your heart to some girl or, 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 or some guy only to have that person drop your heart on the, on the ground and just walk away? Have you ever invested in a business arrangement where the other parties proved untrue? Or shared a secret with a friend, but they gave it away? Have you ever believed in some authority figure, but rather than doing you good, what happened was they abused you instead? Few things are more sacred than trust between people. And few things are more ravaging than to have that trust fail. When you've had your trust broken a number of times in your life, it's so easy, isn't it, to start seeing God through that same lens? Can God really be trusted? If he's so good, then then why didn't he let me get that job that I really needed? If God's so powerful, um, why didn't he let me get accepted into that university that, that I wanted to get into? Why did he not let me have that baby? God, my kids are, are, are messed up and I don't know what to do. My marriage is in trouble. My, uh, my finances are, are desperate. Lord, my body is letting me down, or my or my friend is is dying. I'm honestly, God, I'm honestly trying to do what's right. But I'm scared. Will things turn out okay? Are you really trustworthy, God? That's the type of questions I think we find behind Psalm 62. It's a poem that was written by David, um, the greatest king of the, of the Jewish people. Tradition, in fact, tells us that this psalm came from a time of crisis that took place in David's life uh, when his son Absalom turned on him and led a rebellion against him. I mean, and, and you can almost hear, as you read this psalm, you can almost hear David's voice, can't you? God, I've been trying to do the right thing, but I'm afraid. Will things turn out okay? God, are you really trustworthy? I invite you to turn with me to Psalm 62 this morning. Psalm 62. Let me read this psalm as we begin. For God alone my soul waits in silence, from him comes my salvation. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust him in all times so people pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They're together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Only God has spoken twice, have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. David starts off this psalm telling us his personal conclusion to his crisis, to his questions that he has. Look again with me at verse 1. Look what he says here. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. That word silence in that, in that verse, it doesn't mean absence of noise. Um, it means something like uh, having this inner um, clarity. Um, have you ever been on one of our Minnesota lakes, you know, uh, in, the, in the summertime when it is just perfectly still? Maybe it's early in the morning or, or late in the evening, and the, and the lake is just perfectly still. It looks like a mirror, it's, it's, it, it has this, this clarity to it. David says, I am perfectly still at the center of my being, it's clear. There's clarity to it. God alone is my salvation, he says. God alone is the one I trust. And I want you to notice this word alone. In fact, he uses it four times in this psalm. He uses it in verse 1. Look at me. For God alone... My soul waits in silence. He uses it in verse 2. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He uses it again down in verse 5. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. And he uses it really in verse 6. He only is my rock and my salvation. While others are going to put their uh, trust in strength or in their money or in their own wisdom... David recognizes that all of that, all that stuff, that that's vulnerable. Instead, he says there's only one foundation to put your trust in, and that is in God alone. I mean, we're all looking for a rock to stand on. We're looking for a fortress to run into for shelter, aren't we? And ultimately, there's only one. (laughs) And David says, I've got silent about this there isn't any noise going on inside my head and notice what he says in, in the end of verse two he says i will i will not be greatly shaken um then look down with me at verse five look he says this, for god alone O my soul wait in silence for my hope is from him. that verse is just like verse one do you notice that but yet, there's a slight difference. Let me read this again. In this verse, David adds, "For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence." Um, what's he doing? What he's doing is he's preaching to himself. <laughs> he's telling his soul, "Hey, soul, I just, I, I just want to remind you." Um, life is fragile, life is vulnerable, life is crazy. But remember, God alone is your salvation. God alone can be trusted. Why does he do that? Because, like us, uh, he finds it easy to forget. I mean, we're like that, right? I mean, you hear all this bad news uh, from the world around you and, you wonder what's happening in this country and you, you worry about your neighbors and you worry about your loved ones. You worry about the poor. You worry about your job or your, your marriage or your, your, your finances. You, you see your flaws um, and sins and, and failures. You may feel like that poet, Wendell Berry, who wrote this, when despair for the world grows in me and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. And you feel like life is shaking you. And then, like the psalmist, like David says, you stop and you pause and you get clear again. You remind yourself from God's word. Wait a minute. Verse 6. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. (laughs) The story is told of a a Scottish woman, a little Scottish woman um, who was at her church and she stood up at a congregational um, sharing time and she shared this with everyone. She says, you know, sometimes I tremble on the rock but the rock never trembles on me. (laughs) Do you know that rock? Do you notice how David's song of trust, as we're reading through this, um, in the living God is actually growing larger? I mean, verses five and seven, they expand and, and, and they deepen this song that started off in verses one and two. He becomes more honest and and more raw about how fragile life is. But at the same time, if you read this, you can see his song of trust in God grows richer and and deeper. Then notice in verse 8. Notice in verse 8 in the Psalm of David, the song of trust grows even louder and and deeper. In in fact, in verse 8, you find him not only preaching to himself, but you find him preaching to all of us. Look at this. Trust in him at all times, O people. O first free, trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. He ask. why is it that you can trust God. I mean, why does David, in the midst of this crisis in his life, as his kingdom is being stolen from him, as his son has rebelled against him, as many of his trusted advisors have have betrayed him, why does David still trust God? He gives us two reasons here in this psalm. First, because God is able. Look with me at verse 11. Once God has spoken twice. I have heard this that power belongs to God. (laughs) Um, Power, David realizes. Power belongs to God. God can do anything that He wants, He has the power to do it. God is able. I love those three words, don't you? God is able. Why? Because it is all you need. You see, it's present, it's continuous. It doesn't say he was able, it doesn't say um, he will be able. Those three words don't tell us that he might be able or um, he could be able. No, God is able, (laughs) he's not incapacitated by time. He hasn't lost his touch. He's just the same today. With us, see, uh, you know, once uh, we were able, but now we're not. Maybe as I I walked up here uh, (laughs) this morning, you noticed I was moving a a little bit slower. Um, The reason why is uh, because uh, this weekend I have been playing tennis at a tennis tournament. So I've had a couple of different matches this weekend, and my legs are torn and beaten up and tired. You know, I used to be able to play a tennis match three or four times in in, in a weekend. That was no problem at all. But now, um, now my body is telling me I'm not able. (laughs) The marvelous thing about God is that down through the centuries, he he was able, he is able, he will always be able. Now, I may be disabled, but he's able. I may be incapable, but he's able. God says, I know God, and he is able. He has the power, the power belongs to him. He's able, so I can trust him. And then God tells us the second reason. Not only does power belong to God, but He He is also good. It's a companion reason; they, they they go together. Those two reasons. Look with me at verse twelve. Look what He says here, and that you and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love, for you will render to a man according to his work. To you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. That word, steadfast love, is. Uh, in the Hebrews, the word hesed. It means that um, uh, his love can be counted on. It's, it's a faithful love. It's a love that goes beyond mood swings, up and down. No, it, it's a love that instead, it, it always seeks the best. Psalm 100 says this, says, For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. <laughs> God is good. And David has been reminded, God has told him here, that God not only is good, but God is able. God is powerful, and God has a steadfast love. He can be trusted to do what is best. So when it comes times of those crises in your life, who do you trust? David trusts God in those crises of life. Reminds me of another uh, time someone had, was in a crisis. It reminds me of the time that Jesus was kneeling in, the, in prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane the night before he was crucified. Remember that? The Bible says that Jesus went there with his disciples to pray, and he began to be greatly distressed and troubled. It was a night of crisis. Of course it was. I mean, Jesus saw the storm clouds Gathering over him and the agony of what lay ahead. He would soon be arrested and, and, and thrown into chains. He would be tried and tortured by his enemies. He'd be splayed out on that cross and have those cold nails driven through the flesh and bones of his hands and his feet. Every human being who had ever appeared to uh, faithful to him um, was going to prove to be untrustworthy. All the friends who had claimed devotion to him were, were going to find that, well, <laughs> they had some other appointments. All the people of the crowd who had, who had cheered for him when, they, when he fed them and when he, he healed them and after he had entertained them Oh, they were going to turn on him. Two things are particularly striking to me about Jesus' prayer to God that night. First, he prays, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Do you hear that? He knows that God is able. That power belongs to God. So he asks God for what? Plan B, right? I mean, I I love this prayer, don't you? (laughs) I mean, I've prayed prayers like this uh, many times in my life. I've come to moments of of trial or crisis, and and I've said, God, listen, I believe that you're all-powerful, just like your word says. And, and, and I believe that you created the universe in the first place. And listen, if you created the universe in the first place, then, then this problem here, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is nothing to you. You have the power to do whatever you want. You can stop the earth in its orbit if you want. God, you, you can heal this person. You can raise people from the dead. I mean, you could even give the Vikings a Super Bowl victory. <laughs> God, you're able Everything's possible for you. So change these circumstances, God. Find a plan B, God. Take this cup of bitterness and, this exchange, and exchange it for a cup of blessing. God, you can do it. I know you can. I mean, I've prayed that prayer, haven't you? But sometimes, you know, we're afraid to talk to God this honestly. We think it's disrespectful to tell God what we want. It seems like a a lack of faith to question the way things are unfolding. But Jesus here shows us it's not. It's not a sign of a lack of trust in God to beg him for plan B. Jesus shows us that prayers like these are natural behavior of someone who sees himself or herself as a beloved child of the Heavenly Father. But it's also important for us to notice the second part of Jesus' prayer. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And here's the second part, yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you know the most important word in that whole prayer, what it is? It's that Aramaic word, Abba. It's a word of intimacy and, and respect that perhaps best translated, dear father. (laughs) Jesus personally knew his father. He knew his father is unthinkably powerful and is able. He also knew his father was wonderfully good. He knew his father as a father who always was looking out for his child's best interests. It's why Jesus knew it was okay to ask if there could be a plan B But it's the reason that Jesus also concludes his Gethsemane prayer by saying, yet not what I will, but you will. My ear will be done, Father. Because he knew with perfect clarity (laughs) the same thing that David came to understand. But I I, I gotta tell you, I think it's understandably hard for us to remember this, that if God is as the Bible says he is, and I believe, utterly able to, Um, in his power, and completely good in his character, there's only one possible explanation to why he sometimes let those painful plan A's go forward. It must be because he knows something that we don't yet know that will ultimately advance our best interests. Because he's our heavenly father, Abba. I'll never forget being in the pre op room with um, our 18 month old uh, daughter many years ago as the doctor readied her for eye surgery. Our daughter, Hope, um, didn't understand what was happening to her um, at the time. Um, I mean, she was very scared. I mean, there's no way to adequately explain uh, to a child that age um, that this operation uh, needed to be done. Um, the doctor needed to fix what they had called a a lazy eye. As the hospital staff tried to put the anesthesia mask over her face, um, we discovered my daughter's amazingly strong, um, (laughs) even at 18 months. And she began fighting the physician and uh, the nurses, the nursing staff, and sobbing hysterically with tears in her own faces. I remember Becky and I, we, we... Help them. We pinned her arms down, and she looked at us through her tear-swollen eyes, the gaze of horror and, and, and kind of a sadness. I could see in her eyes that she was just appealing to us. Message was obvious. I thought you had the power to save me. I thought you were good. I thought you actually loved me. Why have you betrayed me? Hours after that night in Gethsemane, a crowd of soldiers took Jesus to that hillside outside of Jerusalem and pinned his arms to that cross. In an act of courage, greater than any other, the Son of God chose to voluntarily lay himself on that wood. And at one point he cried out to heaven, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then something seemed to settle in as Jesus hung there. Maybe parts of it was the anesthetic from the wine vinegar that they had given him to that maybe dulled his pain a little bit. Perhaps the tears in his eyes cleared for a moment and he was able to see beyond the, the, the faces of that jeering crowd and into the invisible place where his heavenly father was, uh, uh, had drawn near. The Bible simply says Jesus called out in a loud voice, Abba, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he had said this, he breathed his last Listen, there'll be many times when we find it difficult to understand why God allows one of our loved ones or us to go through something that um, is unpleasant, is painful. It's okay to cry out and to ask God if there might be a plan B. Sometimes there is. But when there is not, remember the words of David, the psalmist, and the example of Jesus. Trust him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. See, in those times of greatest crisis, you can rest in God because he is trustworthy. few hours after our daughter, Hope, had looked at us with those eyes of betrayal, she woke up from her surgery, and the first thing she saw were the smiling faces of both Becky and I. Likewise, remember also that one day, the operation of his grace will reach its final fulfillment, and the work of healing Jesus began will be completely done. On that day, all of God's children will utterly and wonderfully be whole. We will see our dear Father, the, the great physician, the Holy Spirit, the, the God, three in one, standing by us. We'll see the scars in his hands and the love in his eyes, and we'll know with total assurance that even in the darkest hour, that he was always with us, fully trustworthy, at work for our good, as he is even now. We have called this series Encountering God because our prayer is indeed that each one of us, as we go through this series and get a better understanding of who God is, that we might encounter him. And so, through this series, we've decided what we want to do is just finish our service with just full on worship. So, I invite you to stand this morning. So, our worship team comes up to lead us in full on worship this morning as we praise God. God is holy and God is trustworthy. Let's praise him.